as we work our way in these afternoon worship services through the doctrines of the Christian church, we have today arrived very appropriately at the word and the sacraments. So let us turn together to Lord's Day 25, which we can find on page 539 of our book of praise. Lord's Day 25. Since then, faith alone makes us share in Christ and all his benefits. Where does this faith come from? From the Holy Spirit, who works it in our hearts by the preaching of the gospel and strengthens it by the use of the sacraments. What are the sacraments? The sacraments are holy, visible signs and seals. They were instituted by God so that by their use, he might the more fully declare and seal to us the promise of the gospel. And this is the promise, that God graciously grants us forgiveness of sins and everlasting life because of the one sacrifice of Christ accomplished on the cross. Are both the word and the sacraments then intended to focus our faith on the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross as the only ground of our salvation? Yes, indeed. The Holy Spirit teaches us in the gospel and assures us by the sacraments that our entire salvation rests on Christ's one sacrifice for us on the cross. How many sacraments has Christ instituted in the new covenant? Two, holy baptism and the holy supper. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, the last number of weeks, we have been going through what we believe as is summarized in the Heidelberg Catechism. Not too long ago, we asked the question, what is faith? The answer was that it is a sure knowledge whereby I accept as true all that God has revealed to us in the gospel. At the same time, it is a firm confidence that not only to others, but also to me, God has granted forgiveness of sins, everlasting righteousness and salvation out of mere grace, only for the sake of Christ's merits. After asking the question what faith is, we then moved on to discuss the contents of that faith. The Catechism chose to use a summary of our faith as we find it in the Apostles' Creed. And it took us step by step through a broad overview of what we believe. It's not an exhaustive representation of what we believe, but it does give an outline, a good outline. It's like the skeleton of the body or the frame of a house. Once you have that in place, you have a good idea of the basic structure. The Apostles' Creed gives us a good overview of the contents of our faith. After going through the entire Apostles' Creed, the question was asked, so what does it help you now that you believe all this? And we received the answer, in Christ I am righteous before God, an heir to life everlasting. That's good news. That's great news, in fact. We are righteous before God, not on account of the fact that we believe, but because of the one in whom we believe. We are righteous because of the person and work of Jesus Christ. Now, at this point, you may ask yourselves, that's great. If faith does all of that, how can I get some? I want to be right with God. 
And so you ask, since faith alone makes us share in Christ and all the benefits that come with believing in him, where can I get some of this faith? Where does this faith come from? And so the catechism responds with a faithful summary. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, I bring you the word of God as summarized under the following theme and points. The Holy Spirit grants us faith. And we will see, first of all, this faith is worked by the preaching of the gospel, and secondly, it's strengthened by the sacraments. To understand how this faith is worked by the preaching of the gospel, we first need to understand the power of words in expressing love. And to get a better grasp on that, I first want to turn to the children in the congregation. Kids, do you know that your parents love you? Some parents have a harder time communicating to their kids that they love them. And you kids will have to work hard to understand the way in which your parents love you. You have to work hard to see that they love you in a way that makes sense to them. But for other parents, they might have a bit of an easier time. So how is the primary way that we express this love? Either way, the primary way we express it, the, the best and most clear way that parents show that they love you is through words. You parents might not always be saying to your kids, I love you, although plenty of you might say that pretty frequently. You might express it in different ways, showing that you care about them by taking an interest in their lives. You'll ask them about their latest sports event, how their classes are going, how the last tournament went, how they like their teachers. Maybe you mothers will ask your daughters about the boys in their class. Or you fathers will pass on wisdom to your kids about working hard, working diligently. These are all expressions of love from parents who care about you deeply. You might not say the words, I love you, but you are telling your children that you love them by the words you use and the interest that you show in them. Now, when it comes to Scripture, we run into the exact same principle. God's love becomes apparent to us through his word. Whether individual texts refer to it explicitly, like, for God so loved the world, or whether it's implicitly, we see in the broader scope that God is looking after his people, that God is showing love to his children. We are exposed to love on each page of the scriptures. And just as children exposed to more of their parents' words, speaking of love and affection, as they grow in faith in their parents, their belief that their parents do love them, so too we grow in faith the more that we are exposed to our Father's words of love, discipline, warning, and care as well. This is what lies behind what Paul preaches in passages like Romans 10 verse 17, where he says, So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. God's word is what works faith in us. That is what drives us and motivates us as we believe in him. Because this is a reality, it makes it so important that we do spend time in God's word. And we do figure out what God's word has to say and we do apply it to our lives. 
if we truly believe that God wants what's best for us in the long run, that what he promises will make a difference in our lives for our good, how can we do anything but turn to it? We should soak it up like someone in a desert who's come to an oasis. It has all the answers for life in it if we will only look. Now, as a side note, this is not to say that we are to use God's word recklessly. You may, have, you may hear of people who will ask a question and then they'll take the Bible, flip it open and point to a passage and then try to interpret how that particular text applies to them in their situation. That's like using God's word like a horoscope or a fortune cookie. That's an abuse of God's word and that's not the way he intended us to use it. Instead of that, God calls us to approach his word in a different way. There's a special word in Hebrew for this approach to teaching God's word. And that word can be found in Deuteronomy 6 verse 7. In that passage, we read the words, You shall teach these words which I say to you diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. The words teach diligently are actually one word in Hebrew, and this word is shanan. Now, what does this special word, shanan, mean? The idea behind this word is one of repeatedly cutting or carving into stone. So why is this significant? You've all seen the letters of two young people in love, the letters that they'll carve into a tree or carve into a picnic table or maybe you teachers have seen it carved into the desks of your students. They'll say, for example, J plus L or S plus D and then surround it with a heart. So what can you notice about them in particular? In order to make sure that they've made their mark there, to make sure that they stay there for years. They've carved them in again and again and again to leave a lasting impression in the wood. Their intention is to leave a lasting testament of their love for each other. And to make sure it lasts, they carve it in multiple times and they carve it in deeply. Well, this same principle is bound up in this word, shanan. God wants his people to spend time in his word, to go over it and over it and over it again in order to carve it, to engrave it on the tablets of their hearts so that their faith and their trust in him will be unshakable. By hearing God's word proclaimed, by hearing the gospel shared, we are repeatedly engraving that promise of the gospel into our hearts. And in times of hardship and difficulty, the Holy Spirit will direct us again to those words. Those words of the beautiful gospel message of salvation and redemption will be there to lift us up. They will be there to bring us assurance when we feel we don't deserve forgiveness. They will lift us up when we feel like there's no hope otherwise. And this effect will, on the whole, not be immediate. If it is immediate, 
praise God. That's a gift from him. But for most of you, it'll be a gradual process by which you carve in again and again. A gradual process in which your faith grows incrementally as you spend more and more time in the word and hear it proclaimed from the pulpit week after week. Then we are reminded in a regular fashion to continue to seek after God. To time and again look in faith to him for all of our salvation and to look nowhere else. It takes time to engrave it on the tablets of your heart, but it will come. It will come because our Lord is faithful. This brings us to our second point. The second way that this faith grows can be considered as a subheading of the first. As we saw before, it's the word of God that brings faith into being in our hearts by the working of the Holy Spirit. However, God has chosen not to leave it at that. Instead, he's also chosen to strengthen this faith that he brings to the fore, that he brings to life in our hearts. And he's chosen to do this in a way that brings the gospel to bear in our lives in a special way, through the sacraments. Why the sacraments, you might ask? Why baptism and the Lord's Supper? And why not choose prayer or singing of hymns or other things as examples of things that strengthen our faith? While singing praise, praying fervently and reading meditations on Scripture, they serve, while we do that, we can see that they serve to further express the Word, further express what's uh, promised in the Bible. But the sacraments themselves are unique in that they don't expand on these words alone. They don't point us back to what is said in the Bible, to the words in the Bible. But instead, they take us back to an event that took place. In pointing us back to a living event, instead of the words of the Scripture, they take on a unique role. They don't express the promises, but they remind us of the power that lies behind the promises. They don't only express the promises, but they remind us of the power that lies behind it. So what is the promise that's made? Let me take you back to Scripture for a moment. We can see that in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 23, that we just read, that we just read. Prior to this passage, Paul had been talking about the way that people conduct themselves at the Lord's Supper. Some people had lost sight of the purpose behind the Supper and were taking part in it in a way that brought disgrace to it. In order to set them straight, Paul points them to the foundations of the Supper. Again, we read his summary there. That he received from the Lord, which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. And so it continues. And it ends off in verse 25, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink of it in remembrance of me. You see, the Lord Jesus has commanded us to take part in the Lord's Supper as a memorial event. The Supper was not primarily meant to be a promise, although it carries promises with it. But it was meant to point us to the fulfillment of a promise, to point us back to the suffering and death of Jesus Christ. 
It is a remembrance, but it also bears with it power. The power of a promise that's being actively fulfilled. Likewise, the sacrament of baptism is also meant to direct us to this point in history. We read in Romans 6, verse 1 and following, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore we are buried with him through baptism into death. That just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. With this passage, we are appointed to Christ's death as our personal death to sin. Baptism is tied to his burial and his resurrection connected to our being raised to and walking in a new life. Here we see again that the sacrament is a memorial, yet it's so much more. It is actively involved in the building of our faith and the application of Christ's benefits to our lives through that faith. Now, the unique role of these sacraments might seem a little bit unclear yet. So let me use an illustration that Zacharias or Sinus, the author of the Catechism, used to clarify his position. The gospel, he says, is like a charter. It's like a charter. A charter is a document that's handed out by an official body that gives rights to the person who receives that document. Have you kids ever seen the Magna Carta hanging on display? maybe in your high school or somewhere else. The Magna Carta, or in English, the Great Charter, is a document that gave rights and privileges to those who were under English rule. That's the kind of thing our Sinus meant by using the word charter. That charter is a list of promises that are true for those who are under its authority. Now, the Great Charter, the Magna Carta, has this big seal that's attached to it. That seal meant that the promise of the charter was true. It meant that there was authority behind the words because the seal was a reminder of the authority of the owner of the seal. Without that seal, that charter has little more value behind it than a piece of paper. But with the seal, it's so much more than just a reminder. It's so much more than just a reminder to the people of these rights as being theirs. That seal gives it authority. It has very real authority and power to make changes. And in the case of the Magna Carta, changes to entire countries under British rule. The word of God is like that charter. Without Christ and his sacrifice and death, the word of God would have little value. Because that's what it points to. The whole scriptures points to his sacrifice and death. But the sacraments are the seal. Because of that, the sacraments are the seal that are attached to that paper. And the only reason that seal has any value is because of the person that stands behind it. Because Christ stands behind the seal. And that's why that gospel message has real power and authority. So how does that affect us where the rubber hits the road? When we take part in the sacraments, or even when we look at them, we see them being carried out, we are first of all reminded of our own sin and inability. 
for that's the very reason that Christ came to take part. We are reminded of the fact that, yes, this had to happen. Christ's body had to be broken. His blood had to be poured out because I am unable to do anything. Second, we're reminded of God's grace through Jesus Christ. That Christ himself suffered and died for all who believe. And as we read in John 3 verse 16, whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. This is hope. This is grace. No matter how far we've fallen, how much we struggle, we have this promise. And the sacraments are the official seal of this promise that is granted to us in the gospel. If we turn to the Lord in true repentance, if we come to him in faith, faith that's worked in our hearts by the preaching of the gospel and that's strengthened by the use of the sacraments, we can find forgiveness. Through Christ and in Christ alone, we can find forgiveness and we can find eternal life and joy. Amen.